Thanks, Matt and worship team. Um, before I start, Joe, could you actually, could you throw up the Kingdom Life logo real quick? It's actually funny that Matt was making jokes about the Kingdom Life logo because I was literally thinking about it this week. Like there's, usually brands come up with clever ways to inject a lot of meaning into marketing gobbledygook. But uh, this was actually created, I want to say 2015 by Luke Onspach, who was a former elder here and him and his wife Kylie have since moved to Greenville, South Carolina. Um, but he's, he's a great brand strategist and he helps people do that kind of thing now. Um, but he actually designed this logo and in designing it, he first actually pitched us or me like a few different ideas. And I don't have them up or otherwise I could show you just for a little fun fact stuff. But they were all really like, uh, not strict, refined, um, sharp edges, uh, bold. And I was like, oh, I love those ones. Like they're, they're loud. They're like, look at us. Like, you know, all this stuff. And, and he kind of talked me down off of it a little bit because then he was like, well, actually, I started going on this process. And if you notice the little around all the edges, actually, not just the K, uh, there's just like a bunch of little bumps up and down it. And you can see it. I don't know if we have like, we used to have some stickers in the back. I have like a modified one for whenever we release more music from the worship team. Um, that it's like, the, it's, it's not straight. Just think, what's that? That's not approved. That's not, yeah, this is very unofficial. <laughs> not really released. I have a bunch in my suitcase right now. Um, but the word that he got that kind of put the whole logo together was unrefined. And that's actually kind of been, not necessarily a point of pride, but almost like, just a thing that we go back to quite a bit to routinely make sure that we're not going for this perfection thing as a church. And that can easily be taken the wrong direction of not wanting excellence, doing things sloppily, um, you know, not communicating well, uh, not treating people like that. That kind of stuff can also often be associated with doing that. But what I think I've really found to appreciate and even just how we've formed as a church and because those were the days when it was just like, are we going to be a church? What are we going to do? Uh, our founding pastor just left. The guy who's going to be pastor, not sure if he wants to be pastor. Like there was all this stuff, so many questions that we weren't sure about. And then after this logo and we had some meetings, it was like, oh, like this is stuff we're going to embrace now. Like this is Things aren't always going to be perfect. We're going to figure things out as we go. Us staff, staff's always kind of changing a little bit. Like, but like the Lord has just blessed us so much and how he's proven himself faithful over the years. Uh, even to where it's like, I love when the, the campuses have students back and there's more people in the seats, but it's like, I really love even just, just last month we have here. <laughs> where It's like, you guys, this is our church, you know? It's not perfect, but it's, it's good. Uh, and, and that's actually kind of some of the vein that I want to share this word on humility that I feel like the Lord has given for us. And uh, you can go back to the humility slide now, now that we're back on topic. Uh, this this uh, drawing that the Lord has to lowliness and meekness 
the, the imperfection of us as humans is actually something that I think Jesus adores and loves. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he loves our, like, our sinful nature. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that when Jesus actually called people, he says, take my yoke upon me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. He was actually more so presenting us with a personality where he was drawn to people who were like him, to be gentle and lowly, to be mediocre, <laughs> to, to be not all that well presented, to be a little messy, to be John the Baptist-y, you know? Like, this is tough, especially in social media culture, I think, where we have so much perfection pointed at us daily that we forget what it might have actually looked like to follow Jesus when he was walking this earth and preaching and teaching. If you want to read more about that, there's a wonderful book called Gentle and Lowly by Ray Ortland. Is that right, Bill? Dane Ortland. Dane Ortland, yep. Uh, Dane Ortland, I think, do you have copies yeah. here? Yeah. Whenever the book table's up, there are copies here. Um, but that, that whole attitude, I want us to kind of like lodge into our brains for this next little bit of time. Because what I'm seeing is that the Lord is almost presenting us with two options, okay? And it's almost like if you went up to any little kid here in the back, said, you can have a brownie right now, or when you get home, there's going to be a kitchen or a bakery in your kitchen, and it's going to be stocked full of every single sweet that you want. They're all going to say, brownie now. <laughs> it's, just, it's just nature. It's actually scientifically proven. <laughs> if you've seen those tests where they stick, kid, stick a kid in a room and put a cookie in front of them, they're like, if you wait five minutes, then you get two cookies, or you can have it now. And they all eat the cookie. They can't wait. They're, it's like the cookie's in front of them, and they're just like... And some of them just go <laughs> right away. It's just, it's human nature that we, we want this instant thing. And that's actually what I'm seeing in Matthew 6, which is where uh, you guys can open up to, if you want to follow along with me here. So I'm going to read from the ESV. And I'm going to read a little bit here through verse 18. So, buckle up. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may be, your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. 
Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I think this might be one of the most like humblest teachings of Jesus maybe we have, like where he's presenting us with an offer of humility. And it's funny how humility is actually never really mentioned as like a goal of Jesus' teachings. Like I don't, I don't actually know if he says the word or what it would have been a translation of it. Um, but maybe if we imagined if we sat down and read a gospel for the first time in our life, again, like reading it afresh, I wonder if one of our first observations we would get of Jesus is, wow, that is extreme humility. To the point of embarrassment and shame and perhaps like unnecessary. Like even this teaching on fasting and covering up, like changing your appearance, making sure that it doesn't look like you are fasting. Like I think my inclination would be like, no, nah, don't, don't worry about it. Like you're just being honest, right? Like, that's like, that's a cultural appreciation that we have there for honesty, authenticity. But Jesus, his desire is such extreme humility that he wants you to look something different for other people. (laughs) In the sense of him, or of you knowing who your true reward is, of going after that. So it seems like almost like humility isn't the goal necessarily, but that it's like a, there's, it's like a whole thing. It's like, it's like the whole thing that we walk in. It's like walking in God's ways, caring about the things that God cares about. There being an abandonment of doing things my way, doing things God's way. And then also a fixation on what God thinks. And that's one of the things that sticks out, with, out to me here and knowing that he sees me. So when I was at Catalyst and the, it was a discipleship program that our friend Adam Narciso started back out in Tacoma, Washington, the second week we did there, um, I was ready to get there and hop right into signs and wonders, preaching to people on the street, prophesying over them, all the good stuff. But the first, by the first two or three weeks, I can't remember exactly now, um, but I have all my notes. It was so focused on identity, freedom, healing, submission. And it was exhausting. <laughs> and I didn't like it at all. Like, by the, by the second week, I remember just feeling, like, so just, like, I'm annoyed at, like, the constant talk of 
being low, submitting yourself down. And I, I remember it so vividly. It was the night before we had an encounter night, so it was a Thursday night. I had a dream, and the dream was very simple. I was in, like, a castle bathroom. I don't even know if they had much bathrooms in castles back then. <laughs> but I was, it was like, it was stone. There was mirror with cracks in it, dirty, filthy. I was the only one. There were spiders. I was standing over a sink, almost like you're sick. And when I went to turn the faucet on, it was like a green gas was coming out. And that's why I, I couldn't get clean. And I woke up and the, the Lord was like, this is pride in you. This is what pride does. It stains everything that you touch. That's something actually even if it appears good on the outside, can't get clean if pride is at the root of it. And so that was kind of the theme of the summer. Uh, I processed it quite a bit with some other people, and it was actually, it started when I was talking with Adam, who I was living with at the time, and I was trying to, like, get to him why this other girl was annoying me in our group, because I was like, like, I was like, I don't like how she prays. I don't like, then I just had, like, a list, and he just goes, sounds like pride. <laughs> And just walked out of the room. <laughs> of course, I just hated it, right? But we didn't actually talk about it ever after that because of how much it convicted me. And so what the Lord actually prompted me to do was, I said, okay, I see this as like, kind of going back to the dream, like it, it is it's like an infestation, pride is, in our heart. And... And it's not just going to go away overnight. Like, we need to completely relearn that there's, there's a different option. That there's two paths of humility and pride. And it's like, it's going to be a process of figuring out, actually, what in myself is humble or what is prideful. And so, in my journal, I just carried it around with me and... Uh, I would write PA for pride alert <laughs> whenever I would think to, I would have a, a prideful thought to myself. And it was really helpful because I just like, I was like, okay, that was a prideful thought. Uh, like I remember one specifically, it's because it's just, it's so funny how small these are, but it's pride. Uh, we did, we were fasting for the day and as a group, we were interceding for Tacoma. And I thought, I don't want to intercede for Tacoma. I want to intercede for Grant County which is kind of where I'd like, my heart had kind of been drawn here. And I was like, oh, that's pride. <laughs> because I, I just didn't want to submit to them. Uh, I remember there was a speaker going, if you have a prayer, get up here and pray it. I don't want to get up here and pray it. <laughs> that's pride. <laughs> And don't hear, if you've ever had those thoughts, and maybe, maybe it's pride, maybe it's not, I don't know. But what the Lord was doing was he, was he was slowly softening my heart for me to start to recognize how infested my heart was with pride. And so I would take, I would take the day's journal at the end of the day, and then I'll just go through and repent. And it was so helpful because it was just like, 
the Lord is obviously so gracious and kind. And it was just like, even looking back on it, it was like, wow, like I, I didn't need to respond in pride right there. Even if, even if someone, a speaker was wrong for saying, if you have a prayer to pray, get up here and pray it. You better not disobey that. It's like my response could still be similar but not prideful, if that makes sense. And so basically I'm just, was trying to totally relearn how to think differently in a manner of humility versus pride. And so now I've got it, so that's why I'm preaching here right now. <laughs> Thank you, that's the end of the sermon. <laughs> but those two, those two paths is what I'm seeing here in this passage. And it's funny because Jesus actually, not, not that he commends the one option, but he's like, hey, there actually is a reward for the prideful way of doing this thing. So if you want that, you can have it. If you actually want to be seen by others and known by others and people are impressed by your prayers or impressed by your faith, you can do that. <laughs> but you don't get a reward from your Father in heaven. And that's where I, I could... I feel like mm, I haven't even grasped kind of the, the surface of that. Like it's, that's something where I'm like, man, like the secretness and hiddenness available to us there that God's offering, that just seems so deep that, I mean, that's a lifetime of exploring a father's reward, of continual learning how humility and submission looks to God's ways and not mine versus getting an instant reward from what man thinks. And it's funny because I, th I think in, there's like parent philosophies and all this stuff where like, you know, like I'm a teacher, so like we try to think of it, like how, how do we motivate students and all this stuff. Rewards are built into human nature. And we don't really like that very much. But you just look at history of time, going down to sports being as old as us, winning and losing, to how addictions are formed with dopamine and getting rewards that way. That we as humans are always seeking a reward. Like it's just, it's just constant, unfortunately. <laughs> or fortunately, if we get it from our Heavenly Father. So it kind of makes me ask questions, looking at this passage, we're going to break it apart a little more, but how much can I pray and nobody knows about it? <laughs> if I pray aloud, am I using phrases that I hear others pray just because I know that it sounds good when they pray it? Or there's like a reward system in a culture that says, hey, that's a good prayer. Keep doing it. Or, hey, that's a good way to lead worship. Keep doing it. Well, that's a good way to talk about my job. People respond well when I do it like that. So it's funny. Perhaps we should take Jesus quite literally here, which, you know, I think we, we rightly think that there's not a lot of formulas when it comes to relationship with Jesus, uh, knowing him, growing deeper. But it's funny that he gives us a formula here. <laughs> and it's actually really simple and really freeing. 
He says in verse 6, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's just step one right there on our journey of humility. And the thing that I appreciate about that is Jesus actually is kind of like challenging us to see how far can we go with praying, being righteous, and no one not knowing. <laughs> like, I'm a decently competitive person, and so it's like, my brain's like, oh, could I actually kind of compete? Like, is that okay for me to compete with myself there? Like, is that, <laughs> would that be okay? And I'm like, I actually think it, yeah, like God, why would not God want me to draw into him like that? I think I'll do that. <laughs> and that temptation is so strong there because, I mean, it's like, does, it, does anybody know that feeling of when someone else gets praised for something that perhaps you're mostly or all or at least somewhat responsible for? You know, it's like, that's something I, I'm sure we've all experienced. And maybe that's like one of the best gifts God can give us when that happens because then that gives us the opportunity to actually experience a godly reward for man not seeing us the way that he sees. And that's where even David's introduction to us with Samuel going and looking, seeing the sons who had all the right appearance, who could fight, who were warriors, all this stuff. And Samuel just knew in his knower that there's someone who has a heart that's not even, I can't see him right now, but he wants God. That's what I hope God thinks about me. <laughs> uh, a good friend of ours, also Ryan Hall, who's, he led worship here about a year ago. Um... He, he wrote the song, Worthy of It All, All the Saints and Angels. And that's actually like uh, really blown up around the world. <laughs> so he wrote it when he was just like a small little worship prayer leader in Pasadena, California with a friend of his. They had really no significance uh, in like the worship music world. And then his friend goes and leads it to IHOP. IHOP puts it on their One Thing album, and it blows up. And that was maybe even like 15-ish years ago. And you'll still, you could go to international conferences, and it's literally still sung today. And the thing that I love, not only just about him, but like you don't get that impression with him. Because actually even after he wrote it and after it blew up, he didn't like go like, oh, I'm now this international songwriter. <laughs> I have a song that blew up. I am now entitled to X, Y, Z in terms of music production and having this access. He's, he's still doing music and he loves it, but he's, he's pastoring people. Like he, he's not trying to be this big musician. But the place that he wrote it in was, was the prayer room 
where when he started this, the Pasadena prayer room, no one was coming. And that's when he wrote the song. And his story there is, for the longest time, I don't actually know how long, but he, he, I remember it being significant. With no one coming, he would still make a pot of coffee in the morning, a full pot, and then pour it out at the end of the prayer time as like an act of submission to the Lord that this, this was going to reach the nations. And look what happened. <laughs> a song that is, has been sung by literally millions of believers, but you'd meet the guy and you wouldn't know it. So now I want to focus on the Lord's Prayer here. So we have this reward structure almost that the Lord's given us. I actually want to go through here one more time. Jesus says, if you practice your righteousness in front of other people, there won't be a reward. If you practice your giving so that other people see it, there won't be a reward. If you pray and want to make it look like you're a great prayer for other people to hear you, you won't have a reward. And when you fast and you want other people to see you, you won't have a reward. So he says, he kind of gives us this little package here of like, this is the, the heart of how I want you to approach me. Not in this prideful avenue, but in this lowly one instead. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I gotta get my notes. Recognition of God's nature. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A petition for God's ways to be reality, not mine. Give us this day our daily bread. Petition for him to provide my basic needs. We are so needy, and he actually wants me to be in the posture that I can't provide for my own needs. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtor. Petition for him to forgive me. I need daily repentance and for me to have the strength to continually release people from me having judgment over them. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's a petition to keep me from doing evil things. <laughs> Which I'm like, oh, so before I sat here and I unpacked this, I would think to myself, I can decently get through a day without doing evil things, right? <laughs> but Jesus actually instructed us in the daily bread prayer that daily we need his power to keep us from evil. And that's where that, that dream of the bathroom that I'm in comes back where I'm like, oh, that's why. Like, my heart is so prone to want something else, to want another reward than God's reward. And this is a challenging thing because so much of our culture and Christianity as a result is about us having personal fulfillment. You can find it really easily by 
you know, even just Googling or looking at a bookstore, and it's like all the stuff of God's will for your life, knowing your destiny, all that kind of stuff. We love writing ourselves into the Bible. When we see David slaying Goliath, I slay Goliath, right? <laughs> but I think that's where Jesus wants to draw us back to know. Jesus slays Goliath. That's why I love that Defender song. Like, I don't know if we're going to not sing it for a long time here at Kingdom Life because that, that first verse imagery is pretty, pretty nasty, isn't it? You come back with the head of my enemy. <laughs> like, how many times do you hear that like that in a worship song? And the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, wait. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah. God does the slang. Not me. God puts us in his story, his destiny, his plan. So if you want to know God's will for your life, we can look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7. It says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he also says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So that kind of makes it easier, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> the will of God is for us to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, don't hear me wrong again. I'm not, I'm not going to disagree that God has awesome things in store for us or big things or, you know, fill in the blank of whatever it might be. But I think the, God, the thing that God cares about so much more is that our hearts are aligned with the nature of the Lord's Prayer here. That my concern is not about my own destiny, my own will, my own perception of what I think God's plan is for my life, for a season, for a church, for an organization. But rather, I'd go into my room, I'd shut my door, and I'd pray to my Father who sees in secret. And this next passage is actually one of the most convicting things in this, in this manner. If the scripture hasn't convicted you yet, my wife brings it up all the time. Bless her heart. <laughs> Not to me. She doesn't say it to me. <laughs> in John 21, after Jesus gives Peter the three chances to say, I love you, Lord. He then says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. We have freedom, right? We have destiny. We have purpose. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. That's his destiny now. <laughs> and then in parentheses, it said, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. 
So Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And that's the thing where it's like, oh, anytime I see someone else, see another church, see another, whatever it is, and have thoughts of somehow putting whatever I'm in above better or deserves better, that's when Jesus says, what is that to you? You follow me. And that's why, going back to that song, they actually, I didn't tell them to play that song, but this has is, this is honestly been like the heart of it. It's so much better your way. It's so much better to get a reward from God than from a man who's also going to pass away. Who our material belongings will pass. The state, the status we have, it'll pass. God's reward in his way is so much better. That really all my days, it's just I want to instead come into that place of meekness, lowliness, lowliness in the Lord's prayer here. So to finish, I actually want us just to pray that together and worship band, you can come back up. So I want to invite you guys to stand and we're going to pray the Lord's prayer together. Uh, I was actually typing this out and Brian was correcting my grammar and questioning also what I was writing. It's funny, uh, we're kind of a congregation, we're a congregation from just all different denominations and non-denominations and discipleship groups and all that stuff. So I joked him, it's like, whoa, what's the Lord's Prayer when your congregation is just a mutt? <laughs> so pay attention to the words because this is the Lutheran way because this is what I grew up with. So I don't know if we're defaulting to that for the rest of time here or not, but it's what's on the screen right now. So you can put the words up. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.